How is everyone doing this afternoon? Good. It's good to see all of you back tonight. I'm excited about tonight's uh, excited about tonight's sermon. Um, if y'all would pray for me as I preach through this sermon, um, just pray that pray that it comes across as 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 it as it does every time that I read it to myself. Um, I just pray that that we can that at the end of this service as we go into worship that um, that we can allow God's word here to lead our hearts to a place of hope, um, to a place of uh, to a place of deeper worship here. So, um, so let's let's pray as we as we open up. Lord, I, I want to thank you. Uh, again, for allowing us to gather together in this place, I want to say uh, thank you, especially for the classes uh, that have been going on. Lord, it is so encouraging to see uh, men and women um, showing up, packing out classrooms, uh, participating in class, not only in showing up, Lord, but uh, in talking back and forth and in mutually edifying one another. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, uh, and I just want to say I uh, thank you that you would allow uh, me to be in on that and be in with the group of men, and I know the ladies will echo that, uh, who are passionate for the things uh, that you have placed in your word, and, and I just pray that tonight is, as I open up to preach uh, Romans chapter 8, the latter part of the chapter here, that that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Um, I pray that as we look at this scripture, um, that it would lead our hearts to a place of worship for you, that it would lead us to a place of hope for you. Lord, as I read this passage of text, it lights my soul on fire for you. Um, so I just I just pray that, uh, Lord, that you would uh, move in your people. Um, I want to thank you that uh, you've allowed me to preach up to this point through this text, and I want to thank you, Lord, for all those uh, who uh, who you have led here through this sermon series and up to now. I, I pray that in that in all we do and in all the working and wrestling with the text, Lord, that it would be uh, for the edifying of your church, the strengthening of your church, Lord, ultimately that you would be preparing us, that we would be a people who felt uncomfortable just sitting in pews, uh, that we would be a people who would be uh, so equipped, so ready for service, uh, Lord, that when the service is over, that we were excited about going out, but not because the service was too long or that we're ready to go eat, but because we are ready to put into practice the things that you've shown us as we've gathered together here. Um, let us be useful for you, Lord. And I pray as we dig into this text tonight, this beautiful, beautiful text, that you would allow me to speak in a way uh, the truth of your word, that it would do justice to it, and that your people would be encouraged. I thank you. Uh, it is all for Christ's glory. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to go chapter 8, verse 31 
through the end. And we're, gonna, we're just going to stick to the book of Romans tonight. There's not going to be any going off here or there. Um, we're going to be finishing up this. Uh, I will be off with my family on vacation. Next Sunday, um, the following Sunday, should be here to kick off into chapter 9. I want to give you all a heads up. You all have got two weeks of preparation for chapter 9, 10, and 11, right? So... Um, if you've not been reading ahead, do that, please. Um, who was here for last Sunday's service? Um, so who thought that that was at least interesting in some way? So maybe one or two of you that should. <laughs> okay, well, if you didn't like that, you're definitely not going to like what's coming up. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. What I, what I want for you to do is I want for you to go out and be reading ahead. How many of you have been reading ahead, just for my own sake? How many of you know what's coming up in the text? Quite a, quite a bit of you. That's awesome. Be reading ahead, studying ahead. Uh, I want you to be ready for what's coming then so that we, can really, that we can really dive headlong into that. Tonight's passage of text, there's nothing controversial in it. Maybe, maybe one word that we're going to point out there, but, but other than that, nothing controversial. What I want us to get out of tonight's text is I want this in some ways to be maybe a relief of the work that we've been putting in from the beginning of Romans up to now so that we can kind of sit and just breathe out a sigh of relief and of rejoicing, and of hope, right? We've put in a lot of work. You all, because I, when I look out and I see, I see many phases who have been here tirelessly through this. And I know that there's been many long sermons, and there's many, been many sermons that have, that have left you going out, talking amongst each other. Um, some of you mentioning things to Dad, because Dad hits me up. He hit me up after last Sunday night service, right? <laughs> like, Dad's like, I don't want them to call you a Calvinist, Landon. Be careful with that. And I'm like, Dad, I just want to dig into Scripture, <laughs> right? I mean, let's just dig in and let's look at this thing. So I, I want to, uh, that kind of segue into, I don't care what you call me, right? Now, I've, I've given you, if you've been here a long way, I've given you what I call myself, and I think I know a little bit better about what to call myself than you do. <laughs> All right, so, so take that as it may, right? One thing that I hope that we all get, that we all get out of this, is that we start seeing God for who He is, right? That we start seeing that, that God is powerful, sovereign beyond our imagination, and that God will not fail in what He set forth for you, right? I'm speaking to the church when I use that language that God will not fail in bringing about a Romans chapter 8 verse 28 kind of reality for you, right? Cannot fail in that. And I want you, no matter what you call me or whatever you try to think, I, what I want you to take away from that is that when you find yourself in the darkest of days that you are reminded that God cannot fail in completing the promises that He's set out for you, right? And I'll take whatever comes along the way because I think y'all love me enough and I definitely love y'all enough uh, to kind of wrestle with those kind of things as we press through. So 
Um, so, Dad, I love you, and I'm glad that you, you know, if I were going to go off into some heresy or something, I know that you would be brave enough to say something to me. So, um, love you for that. So, I don't, I don't roll you under the bus for no good reason, right? So, here we come tonight, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and this is going to cause us to have to reflect a little bit. So, I want to, what I want to do is I'm going to read 31 through the end of chapter 8, and then we're going to look at this question that he says at the beginning of chapter, uh, or at the, uh, in verse 31 there, and then we're going to do a little bit of reflection, and then we're going to kind of finish up. And again, in this, I want it to take us to a place of worship, a place of hope, a place of just triumphal. Man, I want us at the end of this sermon, like this is my heart for what I want to see at the end of this. I want to see you boastful, right? Follow me. I want to see you boastful in what God has done and is sure to do, right? I want you to be at a place that you boast in the cross of Christ. No matter what life has for you at the moment, right? That's, that's what I want us to be at. I want us to have wrestled through Scripture, wrestled with these truths about what God is doing to the point that no matter where you are tonight, and I know with the a group as big as this, that not everybody's day was a good one, not everybody's week past was a good one, and probably for many of us, the week to come is going to have its ups and downs. But what I want is for all of us together in this to find that we can worship God, knowing who He is, knowing that He cannot fail, right? So I, I pray that I do justice to the text because that's where it should lead us tonight, and I want you all to be mindful that that is ultimately my prayer and purpose in what we're pushing through as we go through the text tonight. So let's just read it, and then you all can be reflecting on it as we kind of pick through it. So 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen, church? Is this not one of the most beautiful passages of text in all of Scripture? One thing that I want to point out, just as I reflect on it, he doesn't have to, to boast in stuff that he has. 
He doesn't have to boast in life's successes. He doesn't have to boast in the good that has come his way. In fact, we find that Paul's understanding of what God is doing is so rooted in who God is that every time we find him boasting, we find him boasting not in what the world typically boasts about, right? Not, hey guys, come look at my new car or look at my new device that I have. Not, come look at my new big house that we just built or moved into. Not, come look at the promotion that I got. Look, look at the check that I'm getting deposited every week. Now, no, in the midst of the worst that this world can bring, what do we find Paul doing? We, we find him boasting in a way that puts our materialistic boastings to shame. Wouldn't you say? I mean, every time we find Paul boasting about something, like there's a part of us that, if we're honest, wants to say, what are you thinking, man? Like things, they're not going your way right now, Paul. Right? Like go, like I say, we've, we've looked at this, if we look at, First, Second Corinthians, we look at like what Paul's gone through up to that point in history, up to the point that he's writing Romans here. Like, Paul's not had the best of lives now, right? Yet he does not need that to find a boast that is one that I would say is deep-rooted, right? I mean, almost downright haughty in the spirit, <laughs> right? Like the guy, do you, do you see that in this text, Right? I hope that you do. Now, now, in all the boasting, one thing I want to be very clear about, I don't want to steer anybody off wrong. When I say I want you to be boasting, you're not boasting in the material things. You're not boasting in the good that you can do or the good that you will do or the best life that you're going to have here. Like the boast that I want to steer you in and that I want you to stand firm in is one that when the waves of life come crashing in, people look at you like, what a fool is that who finds his boast in the midst of the trials and in the midst of the storms, right? I want, I want us as a church, us as individuals, to be at places where when the trials come, like you, one, look at church, at the history of the church. Look at the early church and the trials that the church has come through. And I'll bring these things up from time to time. I've brought them up in the past, but it was not pretty for them. But you get testimonies of men who were tied to stakes and lit on fire in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And what do we find them doing in the midst of it? Singing praises. Not crying out in agony, but singing praises these men and women who have laid their life down throughout the history of the church have found their boast in something that withstands the worst that this world has to throw at them, right? And I pray that as we've dug and worked and just tirelessly, let's be honest, tirelessly press through Scripture, that, that God has worked in your hearts and in your minds to bring you to a place to where you... Here's the thing. You may be the victor in this world. You may be the one that sets whole armies to flight. You may be the one that shuts the mouths of lions. Or you may be the one who is chewed up by them. It is not, who, it is not you who decides that outcome. It is He who decides that outcome. 
And whether you shut the mouths of lions and die an old man, you die. Or whether you're chewed up by the lions and die. Your hope is the same. Your hope is in a God who was raised to new life. Right? The promise that we have. Now I want us to look back at Romans chapter 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? What things? What things is he referring to here? One, in the bigger scope of the book, the gospel as a whole. That would be, like if you said the gospel, I would be like, you're, you're good. You're, you're, right, you're right on target there. In the closer scope of what we're looking at in Romans chapter 8, we're looking at from 18 probably to verse 30. So we see this sufferings and the hope that we have in sufferings. We see in 19 through probably 25 there, this idea that our hope is in a restoration, not a going away and staying in this fluttery spiritually place, but that God was raised in the flesh. And we will walk with Him. We will eat and drink with Him. We will talk with Him in a new, restored creation. That The hope that we have is that God, all those things in Genesis, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. They're still good. He, he's going to restore that to the order in which He had set it out. So our hope is in resurrection, our hope is in real life, eternal life, walking with the Son, glorying, giving glory to Him that is due Him. So this is kind of the immediate context. And then knowing, knowing with certainty that for us, God cannot fail in accomplishing this. Right? The immediate context. What do we say about these things? What do we say about what things? About what things? Let me get a drink of water and then we'll read the closest context that we have to this. 8.28 And we know for those who love God. Man, alive. I, I could harp on that. Like, There's a lot of places that you could harp in these scriptures, but the thing that I want to har- harp on is that you who hated God, you who would never seek after God, you who were not lovers of God, you now love God. Right? You love God. Marvel at the fact that through the preaching of the gospel and the moving of the Holy Spirit and your faith placed in the work of Christ, that you now have had the love of God poured into you. Romans chapter 5, I think is verse 5, talking about the Spirit of God pouring His love into us, and now we can pour that love in return back out to God. So for you who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And here we can harp a little bit here. We can spend a little bit of time here. Friends, He has purpose. In all that goes on, He has purpose. And He's working this purpose out for us. These things. What do we say about these things? things? What hope do we find in these things? He has a purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And here's where I want to I tie together, together again this idea of predestination to something, right? 
I don't want you to ignore that that word's in there because what I want you to do instead is to see that your end is secured and you will be conformed into the image of Christ. Right? So that as you struggle and find yourselves struggling with sin, you find yourselves struggling with trials that you know that He started it and He will finish it. And He's sure to finish it. Because He knew you. He knew you. And He's predestined you for something. For something. And that something will bring glory like no other thing to His Son. Because you will be shining examples of what His Son is. And what His Son has done. And He will not fail in conforming you to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Who justified you? He justified you. This is the work of God. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, whose power unto salvation? It's God's power unto salvation. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You are now at this moment in Christ, before God, glorified. And He will not fail in working out who you are now to that end. He cannot. It is impossible for Him to fail you. It is impossible for Him to fail you. You are believer you are glorified even now in Christ. Know that. I want you to see as we've gone through chapter 8 here, there's been no question about these things, right? It's not, am I, right? We're at the point now to where we're in-house with the gospel, right? We've gone through the preaching of justification through the promise of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. Now we're looking forward to the promise that He will complete this work in us. In us who? The church. In the church. Those who've believed in Him. Those who are being conformed even now into His image. You are glorified in Him. What then shall we say? Who's the we? Here, we who believe, right? We who believe. What shall we say to these things? And what would you say? Like, what does your heart want to say when you realize who you are? And I hope in all of this, in all of the working through the book of Romans, that, that you have been getting a clearer and clearer picture of who you are as a believer in Christ. Right? Who are you? Why are you? For what purpose has He brought us together? What hope do we have? What hope is secure? These are all things that I want us to be considering as we dig into this text. These are all things that our heart should now cry, God is for me. Do you know that? Are you, are you a believer here tonight? 
Is, is, is he God of all? <laughs> Do you love him tonight? Do you love him? You love him because he loved you and poured his love into you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now dead men and women breathe new life in this place. We were dead, yet now we live. But not us. It's Christ who lives in us. God is for you, not against you. Can you say, can, can you, I want you, let's, let's, let's do a little bit. God's for me. God's for me. God's for me. Okay, now I want us kind of together, maybe with the shout. On, it's hard to get y'all all together in on this. Oh, we'll do it on three. I'm going to go one, two, three. And when I do, God's for me, right? All right, y'all ready? One, two, three. God's for me. And he has been for you from before you were born. Let that sink in on you. Right? Like we look... We look in so many different places for so many different things for what people can call us or what we can be labeled or what, we can, what labels we can bring upon ourselves. And we should relish in the fact that before we breathe our first breath, He's for me. He's, he's for me. So what shall we say to these things. If God is for us, is He for us? Is He for you? He is, believer, He is absolutely for you. The God of all creation is for you without question today. And it is not based on whether or not you fulfilled the checking off of your list of righteousness today. It is, not, it is not based on whether or not you came in here tonight and you feel good about the way you lived your life this past week. It is not based on whether or not you think that you will fail again in some area next week. God being for you is before you sinned the first time. Knowing that you would continue in that sin had He not rescued you from it. And your end is that there will come a day where you love God in every aspect of your life enough that you, based on who you will be, because He's made you that, cannot sin. Do you get that? Do you get that He will not fail in that? Cannot fail in that. He cannot fail in that. So all I want to tell you is that God is for you. And He's for you in spite of you. Get that. Get that. Let that kind of rest on you because then you don't worry about going out this next week and thinking, I've got to check off a particular checklist. And if I do, then God's for me. And if I don't, then He's probably ashamed of me. This week, God is for you. And if God's for you, church, who can be against us? I want you to, I want you to think about this seriously. What is not created. Let's think about that. What is not a created thing?
thing. Can you list something that wasn't created? God is the only thing that was not created. I want y'all to plant that in your minds as we dig through this. As we start thinking about God is the only uncreated. He is the creator of all things. Right? He is the creator. Before God, there was nothing. And if God had not created, there would be nothing but God. Right? Who can be against us? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul here is reminding us of the price that has been paid for us, those whom God is for. Lest, Lest you ever, believer, you who love God, lest you ever question how much God is for you, be reminded of the cross. Okay? As we are here considering these things, let the first thing that comes to our mind be, God is for me. That is clearly seen in the cross of Christ. Central to all that we are, all that we will be in eternity. The cross. Right? So as Paul is reminding us of who we are, setting up what he's about to pour out here, he's, he's telling us, for, first, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Who's going to buy you back, right? Who's going to buy you back when the cost that secured you is the blood of Christ? Who can pay a higher fee? What, what, what slave master's coming for you? that can pay that fee? None. Who do you belong to? What have you been secured by? Say it loud. I mean, if, let's say it together. Right? Like, I, I don't want y'all this to be any question for you. What are you secured by, church? Is that some small and trivial thing? I would dare say that we could not measure the value of it. I dare say that we will that we will spend much of our eternity glorying in the fact that we will never give an eternity understand the depths of what happened on the cross. That is how big this is. That is the cost that was spent on you. God spared no expense for His bride, the church. So what is anything else compared to what He's already spent? So if you think that He's going to fail you in some way, reflect back on how He has secured you to begin with. It was the blood of His Son that He paid for you. What shall we say about such things as this? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? 
And here's where it would be so easy for me to step off into some health, wealth, and prosperity, right? Like, like this is it. This is it. And I want to tell you. I want, now, here's what I want to say. We need to get our timing right. We need to get our timing right. But here's what I want to tell you. Everything is yours. The world is, in fact, yours. <laughs> right? It's all yours. This is why I want to tell you that the hope that we have is in a restored creation. Because a lot of y'all, a lot of y'all think that it's going to be something other and that we're going to be taken off and that, that in many ways you think this world was probably the highlight. Right? And, and you don't want to say anything to anybody, but you kind of think that if, if the scene looks like church in heaven, like you think you're going to get bored really quickly. Right? And here's what I want to tell you, that like your hope for eternity is something so much greater. Right? When we get pictures, when we get glimpses, even prophetic views of what heaven's going to look like, those things that we place the most value in here, we trample on there. Right? Like streets of what? Like let me, let me knock my boots off on that. Right? So the hope, is, the hope is not in something less there. Right? The hope is in something that makes the shiny trinkets of this world things that we'll walk upon because there it will be better than. Our hope is so much better than it is here. He secured the world for you. It is good stuff. Like He has secured the world for us. There will be new heavens, new earth joined together. We will trample upon it. It's yes. We need the takeaway that we need to take away from these kind of things is that our hope is better. Right? Our hope is better, not less. Not less. Right? Because we work hard to try to get like gold watches, gold chains, like, you know, and, and what we find is those things that we value the most are things that there. Like, do you think that you're going to be like, let's make sure that nobody's coming down the road. Let me chip off a piece of this, get that in my pocket, and walk away. Do you th- is that like the picture? Like, what if you found a street of gold here? Like, I'm just, just go with me for a moment. How many, you'd be a fool if you didn't try to chip a piece of that off and take it home with you, right? Have y'all seen, have y'all seen the commodities market these days? Like a block like that, it'd be tough to tote as much as I'd try to carry, but like you'd be crazy, but there, it's, just, it's like asphalt. It's like asphalt, like concrete, like y'all, y'all, most of y'all live in Walker County, y'all know how the roads are around here. I drive my mom and dad's house. Y'all, y'all want to know why I got the, the hoopty outside? I can't drive that thing anywhere in Walker County without it getting out of alignment, man. <laughs> and you're telling me that in heaven, I'm going to look at the gold that's on the street and see it in the same kind of way? Here's the, the world is yours. Something better 
is in store for us. And it is not, it is not over-spiritualized. Right? It is something real. Christ is the first fruits of the hope that we have. What shall we say about such things as these? I want you to go away marveling at the hope that you have. Right? That's what I want from all of this. When you say, what shall I say about such things as these? I don't want it to be, man, if I could, if I, if I could get... A chunk of gold off of a street of gold. That would be so cool. I want you to think what we got, what we got is worth giving up everything that we have for. It is as though you found a treasure in a field. It is as though. And what would you do if you did? You'd sell everything that you had to secure the land so that you could die, so that you could dig up the treasure. Right? The treasure secured in the blood of Christ for you. What shall we say about things such as this? Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring charge against you? Answer that for me. All of this, church, all of this, you should have the easy answers to this, right? Like, we've done the work up to this point. So when I say who, you say what? None. None, nobody, nada, zip, zilch. Like, how many different ways can we say it? Who can lay charge against you who God himself has justified by the blood of his son? Who? None. None. No one. None, no one can lay charge against who? Against who? Against who? Against who? What does the scripture say? I, and, I, and this is where I want to go get a little Greek on y'all. All right, I want to, I want to read y'all what the original word, if I could get this mic up, maybe I'll let it play out for you because I, I probably wouldn't pronounce it properly. So the word elect here. Let's see if I can get this done. Strong's G, 1588, eclectos. Eclectos. So the word's there. Do you know what we translate that to be? Elect. Do you know what the definition of that word is? Let me read you. So it's translated... In the King James Version, 16 times as elect, 7 times as chosen, and the word means picked out, chosen. And I asked you last week, and I want to ask you again this week, why would God use these kind of words here and now? Like what's, what's the point, right? Why use those words? And I want to tell you all along to encourage you because here's what I want to tell you that Scripture says about you, church. Is that when Christ was on the cross, it wasn't some vague thing that He was doing. Like, shame was on His mind. Like, names of people that He, what? What does the Scripture say about us? What does it say? 
And here's the thing, when I say it, I know what y'all are calling me. But what I want to say is, can we, can we not revel for a moment in the fact that the Bible says this about us? The Bible says this. I'm going to read it to you again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And you say, not a single one church is God for you. Is God absolutely eternally for you? Then who can stand against you? Who will bring charge against you who God has chosen to be His own? Who? Who? Can I get it... An emphatic, nobody, man, nobody, not a single one, not Satan, not anyone who would come from him or on his account, not a single one can bring charge against you. You are gods. You are gods. And he bought you with the highest price imaginable. What shall we say about such things as these? Is God for you, church? Is He for you? Never question it. You were bought with the highest of price. God says of you that you are His and that He picked you. And here's the thing. Scripture tells us you never would have picked Him. Right? This should not be a problem that we're having to wrestle with here when we've gone through the problem of sin. Right? We've painstakingly worked through this issue that no one seeks after Him. He seeks after you. He sends preachers to preach to you. He sent preachers to preach to us the good news of the Gospel. You love God. Yes? Then what does God's Word say about you? That you are elect. And here's the thing. I know... I know that there's lots of things that we could go off on the side and talk about, right? I know that. I know that. And as I'm preparing for this thing, I'm like, Lord, there's such a deep truth in there, but there's going to be so many people that when they hear that word, they're just going to want to turn off. They're just going to want to turn off. But how can I not say the word that's in there? How can I not tell you who you are from eternity? You've been His, and He's been working for you. Everything. This is an amazing truth that Scripture lays out for us. This is insane to think about. Do you not agree that this may very well be one of the deepest mysteries of all Scripture? Yet He says it about you So who's going to bring charge? Will Satan on that day have a word that he can bring that will change God's mind about the one he loves? Not even one. And he ensured that 
as he showed us in the cross, that he is both just and the justifier. What an amazing, what an amazing truth to consider. What a, what a humbling truth to consider when we consider who we are. It is God who justifies. So who is to condemn? And you answer, verse 34, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn you? You know the things that you've done, right? You know the things that you've done that you would not want to be aired out as dirty laundry, right? Not even you, knowing your dirt, can bring anything. I want you to let that truth, as guilt plagues your mind, let that truth sink in. That you know your dirt. And he knew your dirt before you even committed it the first time. And he chose you to be his. And he satisfied his justice in the cross of Christ to secure you. So who then? Who is to condemn? And you say, not even one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Man, I love how he keeps coming back to this. I love how he keeps reassuring us with this truth of what Christ has done. Not what we've done, but what Christ has done time and time again when we question, when we worry, when we ask ourselves, and when we know in our minds who we are, who we would be apart from the work of Christ. Let us be reminded that it is Jesus Christ. He is the one who died more than that. More than that, he was raised. What a beautiful truth, because the justice of God was satisfied in the death of his son, and death itself could not hold him. He was raised to life. And our hope as believers is in the life that Christ now lives. That he now lives who is at the right hand of God. I want you to get this. Not only, not only can no one condemn. Not only did Christ die so that no one could condemn. Not only was Christ raised showing that his sacrifice was accepted and the wrath of God was stayed for his people. But not, he now sits in the place of honor and intercedes. For who? Man. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let that, let that sink in. That, that when you now sin, Christ himself intercedes on your behalf. When you sin tomorrow and the day after, and every day until he changes you and transforms you in glory so that you are in his image. Every step along the way, he's there. Who can condemn? Who can bring charge? Verse 35, now, as we wait, believers, as we wait, this is probably one of those Things that comes up most. This is, and he spends a good deal of time through the rest of this kind of 
confirming to us, confirming to us what oftentimes becomes for us a question. Like, is there anything, is there anything that can get between you and God? Can you get between you and God? Can anything in all creation get between you and God? What can separate you from the love that would die on a cross and that death itself could not hold it? What can separate you? Not a single thing. And here, I want us to kind of sit in this for a moment so that you can reflect on this truth of the certainty and the surety of who you are in Christ, what God's Word says about you, and what your end is sure to be. And that it is not because of you in any way, but it is because of the work of Christ in every step along the way. What can separate us? What can separate us from such a great love? Reflect on that. Please, in all of this, reflect on that. Let Christ be lifted high. Right? That is what I want. That's what I want in all of this. And I think as Paul is pouring this out and he's asking these questions all along the way, like he's, he's expecting you as a believer to be saying, Nothing. Nobody. Nothing. Nobody. Almost like his football team gets together before they go out to play and they get together, together in a huddle. Right? And they huddle together. And they say whatever they say for their team's chant or whatever. Who's for us, church? Who's for us? God himself is for us. Let us be encouraged by this. Let this truth encourage you. That you are his. All else apart from him is created. And subject to Him. Do you f- follow that? Right? That there is... That, that you... Many of you have this view of Satan himself as though there's this dualistic battle going on. Right? And that somewhere along the way it's quite possible that Satan gets the upper hand. And that is not the picture that we get given to us in Scripture. Satan was created by an all-knowing God. An all-powerful God. Do you think that when he fell, he was surprised by it? No, he wasn't. Thank you very much. I was having a conversation with my mom, and I think I've had the same conversation with my wife. When you want to consider, when you want to consider the power that Satan has, over your life as a believer. I want you to consider this. What would have been the greatest thing that Satan could have done to hinder God's plan? Not keep you from being saved. There's one event that had Satan derailed it. None could be saved. None could be saved apart from the cross. All those who laid in the grave, laid in the grave hoping that God would fulfill His promise in the cross. Do you think that Satan can read Scripture? Do you think that he could flip to Isaiah chapter 53? He's numbered with the transgressors. transgressors. Hmm. Do you think that he could see the prophet? Do you think that he can read Scripture probably better than many of us? 
Do you think that he maybe has had time to do that? And yet, what do we find? What do we find? Jesus tells Judas what? And Satan does what? Because he is wise in working things together. But for also for us as followers to recognize that, that we're in a spiritual war. Yes. Yes. And it matters what we do. And it matters what we, and this is what I want to follow me. Yes, we are at war. And yet we sit in pews as though we are not at war. We spend our money as though we are not at war. And we want to question the character of God. Because here's what happens. When I say that you are His, you question Him as you sit in your pews. Who are you to question the Creator? This is the, this is the response that God gives to us as we question His character. Who are we to question the character of God? Who are we? So, so God, God is a personal God. God is a personal God. And you are created in His image. Right? And He loves you and has loved you. And He knows you better than you know you. So He knows what to say to you. He knows who to bring into your life. I want us to see that the hand of God is sovereign in His plan. And that He is working these things together. Right? Not that Satan has the upper hand. Right? Not that Satan can go any farther than God allows him to go. Right? So when he comes, and when he comes before God, because God calls him in the book of Job to give account, can he do with Job as he will? What power does he have? What power does he have? He, has, he only has power in where God gives restraint. Right? He has no power to overstep His bounds. He has no power there. And this is, this is the truth of this, friends. This is the truth of this text. If this God is for us, then who can stand against us? Who? This is an insane truth to conceive of. And this is where he goes here. This is where he goes here. What he does not now say is, 
Because I'm sovereign, every day will be a shiny day. Is it possible, and I think the cross says yes, that God is so sovereign that even in the worst of things, he can work it out to good. Could it be that in the worst of things, we ourselves are refined to see him for who he is and to see the work that he has done in a clearer eye, in a clearer view than we could have ever seen it otherwise? Is it possible that he is the only wise God? And I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is yes. And I think that as we ourselves, because this is who we are, we want to question these things, right? We want to question these things. But what we have to be careful with as we do is that we do not question the very God that has given us the ability to reason. That's given, where do we get our idea of goodness and justice from? Does it arise from creation? Does our view of what good is come from creation? Or does it come from the character and nature of God Himself, the lawgiver, the one who is just and justifier? And this is, this is what I want us to... I want us to be able to get into these things so that we understand, that we understand that there are things that we do not need to fear. Because God... Shane said it a couple... I know I've heard you a couple... maybe a thousand times at this point. God's got it. God's got it. To what extent does He got it? Does he get to the extent to where Satan says, nope, you can't come over into my realm? Or does he say, Satan, we're giving account today. Come here. And does Satan say, no, I don't think I'm going to do it today, God. I don't, I don't think to, today's not your day. I got 99 problems and you ain't one of them today. No. When God says come, Satan comes. The sea goes no further than God tells the sea to go. The stars are where God places the stars. And the earth revolves around the sun in the path that God has set for it. The wind blows in the path that God has set for it. Who is sovereign over all creation? God alone is sovereign over all creation. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Pick one. Tell me which one can separate you from Him. Tell me what power someone has that is not subject to His power. This should be something that emboldens us. That causes us to be moved in our hearts. Because why does anyone go to hell? Are you preaching to them? 
Because their hope is in the gospel. Are you preaching to them? Are we sending to them? Are we spending our money in ways that the gospel can move? Because if you ain't, I don't want to hear you questioning the God who has redeemed his people. Do you hear me in that? Do you hear me in that? When we want to question him as we sit and do nothing, he's calling us to go. He's calling us to go. Verse 36, as it is written. And here's what I want us to get here. Look at what he says. He asks, who can separate? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then what does he do? He supports this with Scripture. So the answer is no. Nothing can separate. And what does he do? He quotes a passage of text from the Old Testament, and he says, for your sake. For whose sake? For God's sake, right? For God's sake. For your sake, we are being killed all the day. Is it possible? Is it possible that the death of the saints is blood poured out to water the seeds of the gospel? Is it possible that God can work in such a way? Is it possible? And what if God chooses to work in such a way? Is it possible that for His sake we would lay down our lives? Look at the life of Christ Himself is the example of how we should live. He laid His life down for enemies of God. For the purposes of God. We covered that last week. For his people. For his people. For your sake. For God's sake. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For whose sake is this? Whose? For God's sake. For whose name will get glory? His name will get glory. And we have, we have a problem because we have, we have this idea of a gospel that only works if things are going good for us. And that's not a picture that we get in Scripture. The picture that we get in Scripture is, who can separate us? You may can separate the members of my body from one another, but you cannot separate me from the God who has redeemed me. Truth of Scripture. Truth of Scripture. There are places today that the gospel would not reach if people were not willing to die for it. Most of the places today where the gospel has not been preached is hostile to the gospel being preached. Who will go that thinks that they need comfortable living? Who will go that thinks that if they're hungry that God's not for them? Who? Who will go preach the gospel to these people? A people who say, who can stand against my God? That's who. That's who. That's who. That's the kind of people that go to these places. Who can separate for his sake. For his sake. This is where he leads us through his word. Is that we know... Man alive, verse 37, and here we are. 
Here we are, verse 37. No. Shall those things separate us? Quite simply, no. Never could they. Never could they. No. In these things we are more than conquerors. In these things. Let me go back and read that list again. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And your reply is no. They're not going to separate us. In all these things, we, church, we are more than, not just are we conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Conquerors have one way to be victorious. How is that? By victory of the sword. We are not limited as mere conquerors. Because we are more than conquerors. Because we serve a God who is sovereign even over the deaths and the way that we die. Do you think that that's not the case? Do you think that there was one martyr throughout the history of the church that slipped through his fingers, church? No! In no way was there one of them that was separated. No! Not even once! Not even once! Not even possible! No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Who is that? Who is that? That's Christ. And what is the foremost act of that love? The cross. Keep that in mind always. In verse 38, for I am sure. There is no question with Paul. And I want for us there to be no question with us. Right? And here's what I've already said, that there may be some of us that tomorrow the day's hard. The weeks may be hard. If God would so bless us with missionaries that go out into these places, you may die for it. You may die for it. That may be the way that that next one is brought to him. Man, alive, I reflect back on, on, on Stephen being stoned and who's standing there the whole time. Is it feasible in your mind that the death of this man bold before God had an impact on one of the greatest writers of Scripture? Hmm? As, as Saul stands there, approving of this death, do you think it's possible that he had an impact? I think it's possible. I think that God, not only does he work in good, but I think that God works in all things. I think that without question, God reigns. Without question, God reigns. For I am sure that neither death, because death, where is your sting? Life, the vanity of life is swallowed up. Church, the vanity of life is swallowed up up in the purpose of the cross nor angels because all angels are subject to my king nor rulers for the same reason nor things present nor things 
to come because nothing comes that he has not foreknown and nothing comes sooner than he has preordained it to come, nor powers. What power is not subject to the power of our God on high nor height? How high shall we go? Church, shall we go to where our king reigns at the right hand of the Father? What height could separate us, nor depth? Are we talking the depth of death itself here from which our king has reigned and has risen victorious? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord Church, you are His. And you are secured in the work that Christ has done. You have life because He laid His life down and took it up again. And He has called you to something better than. I hope greater than. He is a God that's bigger than. Can we praise Him for that? Lord, thank You for this day. For You are holy, holy, holy. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the life of your son thank you thank you that you came when we were not looking for you Lord when we were called up in idols when we were called up in gods that looked a whole lot like us and nothing like you when we loved gods made by our hands and not the God that reigns on high you came for us what a beautiful truth this is. What a beautiful hope this is. Lord, let us marvel in the truth. Because you loved us, we now find we love you. Lord, let that, let that love pour out. Lord, before we question your character, let us question our own. Oh, Lord, as I look at your word and I look... At all that you've done, I think, how little have I done? How cowardly am I? Lord, let me be strengthened by your scripture. Let me be strengthened by the hope of your word. Let your Holy Spirit move when I'm weak. Let it move within this church, Lord, that we would breathe life for you. That we would preach the gospel for you that we would rest in a hope that is so secure that we, Lord, we fear not giving up our lives for it. Lord, we know that you are the God of the days of our lives. We know that you reign sovereignly over all creation. We know that your word tells us that you loved us. You loved us. What an amazing, amazing truth that is. What was good in us? Nothing was good in us. 
that you chose to love us. You chose to give us life. You chose to use us. I pray that you would continue to send us. I pray that the gospel's roots would grow down deep and the branches of hope would blossom with preachers and teachers of your word. Lord, that Mount Carmel would be a place that sends to those places that have no hope. That you would bless this place, that we would be that people. (laughs) Cowards will not go. Because they care too much of the things of this world. Let us be fearless in you. Let us be fearless. Say in Christ's name, the fearless lamb and lion.